0: Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I am here today with Shashank Shikhar.
1: Hey, Jeffrey. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. So, why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from?
1: I'm from San Jose, California.
0: Okay. Calling in from San Jose. And, you know, what got you into the real estate industry?
1: It's an interesting story. I was um, about 18 months in the country. I moved from India, and I was uh, the head of business for a company that used to sell leads to mortgage industry and um, it was 2008 of course as we all know what happened there with the with the big mortgage meltdown most of yep. our clients they kind of shut the shop or stopped buying leads and that got me thinking is mortgages was the only thing i knew back then even though it was what year and a half in the country and i always wanted to start something on my own even when i was at business school i will tell my friends i'm the only reason i'm doing my mba is because i want to start something on my own one day in. As crazy as, as it may sound now, it uh, was a time where I thought, okay, I, I don't have a job. I'm new to the country. It's year 2008. Nobody is buying or refinancing. But the only thing that I know is really mortgages. So let's start a mortgage company. And, and that's what I did in 2008. So it was more out of the spirit of entrepreneurship and something that I really wanted to do than thinking through it. I mean, most friends at that point of thought, point of time thought I was totally crazy to try and, and open <laughs> A mortgage business in 2008 uh, but yeah that's how got me into the business
0: got it makes sense and you know now fast forward to today you have a successful mortgage blog you have a mortgage company you have all kinds of things going on so mm-hmm. you know why don't you tell our listeners kind of where your uh, current transaction volume is so that they have a little bit of reference of where you're
1: at sure you're right I'm the CEO of Arcus lending which is the company that that I founded in in 2008 and I also Continue to do my own personal production. Um, last year, I did three hundred and sixty-three million dollars in personal production. Our company did a close to a billion dollars, and that just just in terms of reference for some of the people who may not be on the mortgage side of it, if your audience, three hundred sixty-three million a year is is like top fifteen, top twenty loan officers in the country, and that's that's the ranking that I've maintained over the last five, six years in the industry. So um that's where we are as a company of course the the goal is to continuously grow where we are move from a, a billion dollar company to about 5 billion in 3 years that's a trajectory that we're looking at that may or may not involve my personal production going up given everything else that comes with with growing the company but uh, that's where we are right now
0: Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that insight. And this podcast is really about distilling down the action items for success for other real estate professionals. And sure. so for for someone who, you know, they might own their own office, so they're doing personal production, and then they're either a branch or they have their own mortgage company, and they have, you know, maybe scratched 300 million, half a million in a year between their office and themselves, but they want to then scale higher, right? They want to grow. What would be some things that they could do, some levers they can pull to help get them over that billion mark? Because a billion in a year, not only does it sound amazing, that's a huge feat.
1: It is. And you're right. I mean, even on the mortgage side where the volume tends to be higher because we get to do refinances and not just purchase. So we right. kind of have unfair advantage compared to real estate agents who can only do purchase. Um, right. So from that perspective, even for us, I mean, doing a billion is there only a handful of, if I remember, there are probably only five loan officers in the history of of mortgages who have actually done over a billion in one year. So it is it sounds like an impossible feat so to say wow uh, but really i mean if you look at it i mean even even my career as i said i was very new to the country i i knew three people in the entire country back then when i got in the business and typically when you get into a real estate industry you go to your sphere of influence right you go to people who you went to college with you went to high school your neighbors whoever you grew up with and, and you can yeah, say yeah, i'm i'm in a real estate business i mean can you give me some business or i'm in mortgage business can you send me your refinance or purchase I did not have that luxury because I didn't know anyone here. So given that, I I mean, first 12 months, I did seven transactions. That's half a transaction a month, which is from there to be doing 60, 70. I mean, last year I did over 800 transactions. That's almost averaging about 70, 80 transactions a month. And that scale is, I mean, of course, it's difficult to pinpoint, Jeffrey, if there was one reason for you to be able to scale from half a loan to, say, 70 loans a month. But I mean, if you were to ask me top two, three things, one is hiring an assistant very early, even though, I mean, mm. at a point when I could not afford her, I was literally doing two transactions a month. I was making five, $6,000, which is which barely takes care of your cost. But I still thought that that's the only way to scale. I can be processing my loan. I can be marketing and I I can not also be originating. So I can be doing everything and expect to do 10, 20 loans down the road. And that's right. so investing in another resource, even when you think that you don't either have the money or you don't want to part away with that money because that's another thing that a lot of real estate agent partners that I coach that they're like, okay, I'm making this much. Why should I give away like two thousand dollars out of this to somebody else? But if you want to double or triple that, that's the only way to do it, which is by delegation, by leveraging your time. You're talking about the levers that you can pull. Lever is, I mean, the the time in a day is only twenty four hours. Whether you are Beyonce or Mahatma Gandhi or Albert Einstein I mean you want to change the world you you don't get extra time just because you you happen to be to be Einstein right so from that perspective you need other people to help you out and so hiring someone when I I did not even have the money to to afford her I think that was definitely one of the one of the best decisions and then leveraging the marketing itself I mean you talked about blogs so I've been a huge proponent of personal branding even before. Say, so Gary, we happened to the industry. Like it was like I'm in mean, 2009, again, very new to the country. I didn't know who to go to to ask for business, and so I started blogging, uh, started doing a lot of things on social media, and that gives you the leverage from marketing perspective. You're not talking one on one to a client. So I'm not trying to acquire, say, one client at a time. If my blog reaches 500 people, technically 500 potential clients that I have because because of the reach that I have from my blog or my content that I'm creating. So. So in terms of client acquisition you need to be able to have that kind of reach because then that gets gets you access to multiple clients at the same time versus trying to get one on one which is the referral business that that we have and finally just having your priority management right i think a scaling is is getting your priorities right is extremely important for scaling in our business there are fires all the time whether you're on the real estate side of it or mortgage side of it there's something goes wrong so at, at one point of time, all the time. And so it's when I mean, we have to be involved with those fires and urgencies that happens, but at the same time, you need to keep your eye on the prize, which is where do you want to be two years, three years down the road? And what are the things that you need to work on the business to get that done? So I will always have, I mean, I'll I'll review my goals every single week and see what minor tweaks do we need to make to, to improve it the next day. So keeping that priority on top and you might miss it for a day or two. and And just to give one example of priority, Jeffrey, is that, I was just changing my logo for mortgageblog.com, my website where I blog. And I was just looking at the number of blogs that I've written over next last 11, 12 years. And you'll be surprised that there is a blog a week. And I might have missed a couple of weeks here and there. But if you look at the number of blogs, I think there were 560, whatever. But it ties down to almost exactly a blog a week. And that's the discipline. And that's the priority that you need to have. Every blog will not get you business, but if you need to have that discipline. So having your priorities right, even while you're involved with the day-to-day fires and the, and the urgencies of the business. I think, so those probably are my top three tips. If you want to go from say where I was five, six years back to where I am today.
0: Wow. Some fantastic tips. And I'm very interested in the SEO blog play that you've been, you know, you've dedicated 10 years plus to that. You said you started your (laughs) blog in 2019. I think it's easy for listeners to think, ah, he has such a head start, and thinking of it in a comparison standpoint, yes. like I'll never catch up. I'll never, I'll never mm-hmm. be like him. But you know, what would you say to encourage either the the types of content, how to discover what to even write about? I think a lot of people get writer's block when they're like, blog a week. I have so much going on, and and that's where the priorities come in. But if if they decide, you know what, I'm committed to this. I do want to do a long term SEO play and have inbound traffic coming to me, essentially for free well, you know, what types of things should, how can they discover or do keyword research on like what they should be talking about?
1: Very cool. Great question, really. I mean, when I got started, it's not as if I had a head start from the perspective of that I was a writer before. So, I mean, as you said, writer's right. block, whatever, I mean, it's it does exist. And, and you're right, I had all the questions, like how can you write those such consistently? In fact, yeah. I failed miserably in the beginning. I mean, I remember I wrote a blog post a week on my website uh, which is mortgageblog.com and ActiveRain, which was a very popular blogging uh, website back then. I don't know how how popular it is right now, but I would, I would write a blog post there. I would write a blog post on on, um, on my blog. And I did that for six months, every single week. And only it was, I think only after six or seven months that I got my first call saying somebody saying that, Hey, I read your blog post and, and I have a yeah. question or whatever that was. But
0: Six or imagine doing months. that, yes. Yeah.
1: And that was supposedly in an era where I did not have a lot of competition, but also, also in an era where people were not consuming so much on the web. I mean, it, it has, I could see that that's a trend that's, that had started, but not as much consumption as we have in, say, 2021. So yes, I had a head, I, I mean, right now I have a head start because I'm probably 500, 600 blog posts ahead of you if you wanted to start today. Uh, and that's just mortgageblog.com. I write for About.com, Huffington Post, HousingWire, uh, Homes.com. I mean, Inc.com. Really, some of the some of the biggest platforms there is there is in the country. But I mean, it still goes down to first. I mean, figuring out. I I wrote an article for I think the mortgage banker, which says that focus on the message, not the tools. And what that means is that today you might have MySpace, and tomorrow it might be Facebook, and then and, and the day after it might be something else. Similarly, I mean, you might have YouTube yesterday and TikTok today, and who knows what will be tomorrow. And those mm-hmm. those are the tools that you can use. For me, oh, yeah. what was important very early is that I figured out what's the audience that I want to address. And for me, first time home buyers was a, was a big thing. I'm, I'm in Silicon Valley; it sees a lot of immigration. I'm an immigrant myself, and I could see the challenges with with everything that came with it, and not just the immigrant population, but everybody else who was first-time homebuyer. So I I wrote blogs on it. I wrote my first book on it. But my that was my audience. Blog is a is a platform or a tool that I picked is because that was probably the easiest at that time. Video marketing wasn't that big a deal. The Facebook and everything was, else was just coming up. So if I wanted to do it today, I mean, I I have much many more options, right? I can do podcasts like the way you were doing, Jeffrey. I mean, like if if I think that. I'm really good with audio part of the of the tool, then I probably might switch to podcast if I think I'm great on videos. And by the way, nobody starts great. That's another thing is that if you're thinking <laughs> I'm great at video, meaning that my very first video gets 5,000 views, that's not how it works. I Such read my... Point. I read some of my first few blog posts, even my first entire book, and (laughs) I would not want my kids to see that. (laughs) (laughs) They will lose all respect for my writing. That's how bad they were. So whichever tool that you pick, you have to try, uh, test and try on this. I I wrote an article on Housing Wire on the same topic, talking about the fact that you need to try your tools first, but even more important than tools is the message. I mean, who's your audience? You have to be very, very careful about who your audience is and what is your message to that audience once you craft that then you might fail at a tool podcasting may not work for you. you might switch to youtube or tiktok or or blogging like the way i do and then finally the seo part i mean of course seo happens one with the consistency of content creation right uh, when google's looking at you they are seeing did you write one blog post on a certain topic or do you consistently write about a certain topic all those. so it's, it's first is the volume of the content that comes in and two In the beginning, my entire focus on what is called a long-tail keyword. I wasn't trying to rank for mortgage rates or best mortgage rates or best mortgage lenders, whatever. I was trying to rank for San Jose mortgage lender or San Jose mortgage broker or mortgage rates in California. So you're trying to niche, and that's actually easier for a lot of real estate agents and and, uh, mortgage loan officers is because they mostly address the audience in their local market. So there's no reason for you to be ranking about Best towns to move, unless your town is one of the best towns to move to, then that's fine. But most of your audience is searching for, I mean homes for sale in nine five one, two one, two three, or whatever that that zip code that you operate in. So it's much easier to compete at that level unless because otherwise you're competing with the Zillows and the redfins of the world, and you'll never be able to serve never be able to to rank higher than them. Similarly, if I was trying to rank for national keywords at the very beginning with the, like of I mean quickens in the loan depots and end node wallets and the bank rates of the world, I'll never be able to rank for that. So don't right. have to be too ambitious in the beginning. Go as narrow. I mean even go down to your elementary school that that's in your neighborhood to the streets. I mean a lot of people even just search for homes for sale on a certain street because that street might be desirable. Zillow might not think of doing it at a national scale, but but you might be, you should be doing that. So Content creation, which is very, very specific uh, to the neighborhood, to the audience that you're targeting, and pick your tool and, and I mean try it. If you get something wrong, just move to another. As long as your message and your audience is clear, tools are secondary to me, really.
0: Yes, great points. The consistency of effort over a long period of time is the biggest thing that I took from that. So many real estate agents, so many mortgage loan officers out there, they get distracted. There's so many opportunities and so many ways to generate leads and so many new people, businesses calling you to try and sell you new things every single day. And it's very easy to get distracted. Well, one of my mentors says, if you don't try something and you're willing to do it for a year, don't even start it. Yeah. And so it seems like you have that same mentality. It's like, I'm going to give this a true shot. Like, I'm really going to dedicate to this no matter what the initial feedback is, no matter what my initial apprehension is as a human, my nervousness. You know what? I miss a week, next week I'm going to be right back on it. You know, I'm not going to beat myself up about one missed blog. Like I'm just going to keep doing it. So really good encouragement there. I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. And you know, as far as the keyword research, I loved how you even went down to hyperlocal. Like you don't have to just try and write about mortgage loans and rank on that short keyword yeah. that yeah. hundreds of thousands of businesses with more money than you do are targeting yeah. and doing PPC on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? totally. You can do much more niche focused, hyper local, and you can rank for those things, especially if you're yeah, consistent. And, and
1: it shows you're, you're a neighborhood expert. I mean, if you rank right. for real estate nationwide, the man might not hire you as a listing agent for the street that they live on. But if you rank on that street, then, oh, this person really knows this street. So, and that's where my house is on. So,
0: totally makes right. sense, yes. <laughs> so, do you do anything on the PPC side or any paid advertising in addition to the SEO?
1: I do not, actually. I mean, most of my marketing strategy has been focused on content marketing strategy. And that's mostly just free, uh, meaning that it's it's more the reach, uh, whether it's to my database that, that I've collected or to a wider audience were uh, searching for that content on the web. So, not much. I mean, we have played around a little bit with PPC, not my expertise. You shouldn't be asking me questions on that.
0: Got it, got it. <laughs> and and you you did mention Huffington Post and a, a few other outlets. So, over time did they recognize you as a thought leader or are those, you know, press like press release style that are pushed there? Like how are are, are those relationships working out?
1: yeah so they're not press release type of course press releases also play a key role in in getting your name out so one of the things that you have to figure out when you're creating content is that creation of the content is probably 20% of the work and 80% of it is syndication how do you get people to to actually see that content and one is consistency we already talked about that part i mean when someone sees that you're delivering content on a consistent basis that audience starts expecting content from you so that's that's kind of an audience that, that you start building as you become more consistent. But you also have to do a lot of outreach uh, where people need to see you. Press releases are, of course, a good way of doing it. We recently ra- launched, for example, a Mortgage Industries' first digital human called Rachel, which is kind of an upgrade over Siri and Alexa. And that was a press release, but we sent out the press release. Every major uh, mortgage media picked up the news because it was the first time in the world that we actually created digital event for for the mortgage industry and might be for real estate industry as well so that helps when when you have uh, content like that that you think that the other media will pick then it's fine. but I mean, if you opened a new branch office, you did a press release I and mean, from branding perspective it's fine, but you don't you don't expect another media to pick that up because it's it's not newsworthy yeah. for them to do that. I mean, right, they can get picked from syndication that your press release service provides, but it's not picking up as a news. It's just just syndicating the press release. So press release is a good right. idea from branding perspective, totally. I mean, I would do that. You should probably have one at least a quarter, if not a month, if you have yeah. any new any news that's happening to you. But and more some than backlinks that, it's, from it too. yeah, yeah, you, there there are benefits of doing press releases definitely. And then, More from trying to get into bigger platforms is, again, consistency of creation. They see that you are doing it. I'll tell you an example. The first time, I think it was after seven, eight months of writing blogs, Yahoo, I got a a call from uh, Yahoo News editor saying that they were doing something on mortgages. And um, they Googled, and then they found my blog, and they said, will I be willing to contribute to the story they were doing? And I contributed to that. And of course, you have to be good at it because they liked what I contributed. And he was like, okay, I have a couple other... Co-workers who are who are writing for Yahoo Finance and, and Yahoo Real Estate, I mean, can I pass on your name to you? Because they might have quote opportunities at time. And of course, yes. And so the more you do it, the better you get, is, is what it is. And then from Yahoo News, I mean Bankrate picked me up as the weekly rate predictor contributor, which is only three or four mortgage loan officers in the country get to do that. And that rate prediction then gets picked by uh, the Washington Post and some of the journalists who were at Bankrate then moved to Forbes and NerdWallet and other places. So it takes time. This is the 12th, 11th year of me blogging. So I don't want, Jeffrey, your audience to be overawed by the fact that this is where I am, is because also understand that for the first seven months of writing a blog on two different platforms, I didn't have one call or an email. So you don't just, personal branding takes a lot of time, content marketing takes a lot of time, but it's also the most robust client acquisition platform there is. I mean, you do that for two, three, four years, you hit a tipping point, you reach a critical mass. And after that, technically, if you don't want to market ever in your life and just be disciplined about content creation, you would be set. I mean, of course you might have growth goals and and you will do more stuff, but it takes a lot of effort, a lot of being out of your comfort zone for people to judge you what you're writing or what you're creating. So it's a tough world. I mean, it's, but you have to play a long-term game on this, but if you do it, then the rewards are, I mean, exponentially higher than any other marketing activity that I know
0: of. Makes sense. I want to touch on Rachel. So I have developed conversational AI to specifically for lead qualification for buyers Mm -hmm. and sellers. I noticed that based on my sales experience prior to getting into marketing, the biggest flaw or the biggest problem area of the real estate transaction when it came to generating the lead was the follow-up because many of them are 9, 12 months out, especially if you generate them you know, through paid advertising on Facebook. They're top, top of funnel. I mean, that's not a bottom funnel lead. So I thought, well, what if we could create a system that would engage, educate, create authority? It was all branded. our agent client, Mm -hmm. and it would respond on behalf. And then if there was a question, because a lot of those questions would be somewhat similar, it would be buying intent or home search intent. Well, we could develop AI, right? And so that was our our initial idea four years ago. And now fast forward to today, uh, we have been developing it for four years. And it's, (laughs) it's quite amazing. And it has, you know, MLS access in the markets that we're in. So with that being said, I'm very interested in what you've done with Rachel. So I would love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah. So it's a little different in terms of how you are uh, approaching the conversational uh, AI, Jeffrey, and, and what Rachel does, or at least it's capable of doing now. Yours is uh, more about, as you rightly said, it's it's as top of the funnel lead as it can get, uh, because those consumers may not be ready to buy for six, nine, 12 months, who knows when? Yep. but you still need to engage them because that's where the ROI comes from, the entire paid advertising that you're doing. For me, what the way I see Rachel is more a user experience. And uh, so it's more the frontline questions that consumers might have. So if they come to my website and they have questions about, should I take a 30-year fixed or a five-year arm? I mean, how do I get pre-approved? So the typical, say, top 100 frequently asked questions that a potential mortgage customer might have, whether they are 12 months away from buying or 12 seconds away from buying, uh, those are the questions that Rachel is is going to answer. Uh, So it's not so much follow-up. And then we are also building Rachel. So we, we have our API uh, through Google Dialogflow uh, integrated into our point of sale and, and loan origination system, where if I'm a customer, I don't have to call my processor or my loan officer. I can come to Rachel and say, hey, what's my loan status? What's my rate? And of course, we have identifying question to figure out that this is Jeffrey and not Shashank uh, that, that we are answering the questions for. So it's during the transaction that we are using a lot of, um, a lot of uh, Rachel's uh, capabilities right now. And then Of course, through AI, we are trying to build in where we are trying to see through analytics and AI. I mean, through analytics, we are first trying to figure out which are the questions that she's not able to answer. So so you might come and ask Rachel a question that she's not trained to answer. So that's the analytics part of it. And then through AI, she needs needs to then figure out to how to answer those questions. If I feed her the answer through Google Dialogflow, then in the future, if someone asks the same question that she should be able to. So it's, as you've done with four years of working on it, it is a long process. We just launched Mm -hmm. 1.0 about three, four months back, but she could already answer a lot of questions. She can answer a lot of uh, loans in process, we haven't used her or Mm -hmm. we haven't thought about using her for leads that's very top of the funnel and then and just for education purposes throughout the entire process. That's brilliant what you've done because you're right. I mean, that seemed, that's probably for me, if I were to go to PPC and, and, and generate uh, home purchase leads for buyers, that will probably be my biggest concern is that, okay, I mean, I have to set up a system to follow up with them for nine months. Right. And, and if that's already built by someone like you, that will be extremely useful for both the real estate agents and, and loan officers.
0: Right, and we do have flows for both for the mortgage loan officer side Perfect. and the real estate side. And I, I appreciate the compliments. Thank you. It, it was something that came to me based on my sales experience. I, I thought about, you know, what problems can I solve? What value can I offer to the real estate industry? And I thought about my previous sales experience of like, the worst part is the follow-up. is yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> That's the worst part of the sales process. Yeah. It's super fun to go close a deal. Yeah. And I don't even necessarily mind the initial lead generation or phone calls as much. But gosh, keeping on top of all these different follow-up tasks yeah. with all these people in different stages of the funnel, it's really yeah. difficult, especially at volume. So uh, that was the biggest thing we wanted to focus on. And, and lead generation just came more as a secondary aspect to feed the system that we had built but our big focus was nurture and follow-up so I appreciate that and Rachel sounds awesome it's a it's a to distill it down to so that people can easily understand it that are listening it's like a frequently asked questions instant messenger experience specific to you know the loan process and and how valuable I mean my mom is about to close the loan on on a, a new place and she just went through the ringer uh you know had so many questions and things fallen yes. through and this and that i love the api connection to where they can use identifying criteria and yeah. get a status update on their loan so it's yeah. not it's not just you know searching a frequently asked questions knowledge base but you're actually getting once you then get into the customer process now you're getting specific feedback to your loan that's brilliant as well
1: no yeah and it has immense potential. Um, again, very different verticals, even though they're both conversational AI. And, and as you know, I mean, the consumer preference, again, has widespread acceptance of uh, products like Siri or Alexa or Google assisted. I mean, that's right. in an audio format that already exists. I mean, it's we are asking Alexa and Siri more questions, more and more. I wouldn't say that Google searches have gone down, but I mean, if I can just ask Siri, I mean, who was the first president of the United States? Who was the 17th president? I mean, all of us probably know who was the first, but so uh, we can we ask all that questions all the time. So if
0: right. if
1: the user preference is moving towards that side, uh, we, that's why the creation of Rachel is because we want people to and and we want to start a campaign called Have you talked to Rachel yet? It's like almost synonymous with if you're thinking of getting a mortgage, have you talked to Rachel yet? So so with the potential is of course limitless, and we being first in the industry definitely helps.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's that's fantastic. So you have an amazing story. I mean, you came from India. And now you're top 15, you know, MLO in the nation, which is amazing. And I'm curious, you know, what is the single most important action throughout that 10, 12 year journey that you took on a daily basis, which attributed most to your success?
1: I think morning routines are extremely important. Uh, we are all very, very busy, especially, I mean, whether on you're on the real estate side of the mortgage side of it, it's one of the craziest industry there is in terms of the stress it can come up with. There are millions of things that potentially can go wrong. And sometimes some of them do actually go wrong. Uh, not, because, not because we are bad loan officers or we are bad real estate agents. It's just, there are just so many moving, pass, uh, moving parts. My first job uh, was a GE out of my business school. GE Consumer Finance, and we, GE is big on a concept called Six Sigma, which is that out of uh, a million potential mistakes, you should not have more than 2.4. And and if you reach that, that's called the Six Sigma level. Every mortgage transaction <laughs> probably has 500,000 potential mistakes that you can miss. You can miss that sentence in in the title report. You can miss that line on appraisal where it says, "Oh, you need to fix that leaking faucet before the loan can close." So. Right. Given all of that stuff, and and you probably did not don't even have in our industry to make even that two point four mistake. I mean, that could be catastrophic for some of our clients when we do that. But I mean, things like that happen. So, I think building morning routines. And I kind of read a lot of routines from a lot of successful people and leaders and influencers um, uh, through the ages of time. But I I had to customize it for what worked for me. I have two young kids, so of course it's not a question of where I can just meditate for an hour and, and have all the, so we of course don't have that time in the world, but I have about a 20 minutes routine that I started following almost six, seven years back and has worked really well for me. It's, uh, uh, it's really, it's uh, seven minutes of workouts. I have a seven minute app. If you go to the app store, there's, there's a seven minute app that you can, so seven minutes for whether you want to do cardio or strength, whatever kind of workout that you want to do. So you can do that about seven, eight to 10 minutes of, of meditation and then it's three minutes of basically thinking about what's one thing that I need to do today? What are the three things that I want to get done over the next six months? And those, those could be wild vision. is that okay? Mm. I want to do I want to create like the best technology or do this. And they may not be they may not even sound as realistic as it has to be. And that could be from six months to two years where I need to be. And then finally, I end with uh, gratitude, which is three things that I'm currently grateful for. And it could be as simple as, I mean, somebody got me coffee yesterday that I was not expecting. So it does not have it to be grateful about like the biggest things in life. It can be very, very small thing, but something you're grateful. I think Tony Robbins once said is that you can be grateful and anxious or fearful or stressful at the same time. So you can either be this or you can be that. So if you're in the state of that gratitude uh, to begin the day with, and it's 20 minutes, it's not not long. If you don't want to do workout, that really cuts it down to 11, 10 minutes, 12 minutes of, of routine. But that really puts me in the right mindset uh, for not just that day, but really my, my short term and the long term goals. So that I think, I mean, I can talk about a lot of tactical things that I do through the, throughout the day, but that how do you start your morning? I think it's just very, very important for me. And I would believe that for probably most of the people, especially in our industry.
0: That makes total sense. I love the 20 minute routine. So a lot of people, they say, I don't have that hour. I don't have, but Tony Robbins talks about, okay, if you don't have your hour of power, then, you know, do your 15 minutes of fame, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you've made it work for you even with children and with, you know, business and, and super busy. I love the seven minutes, by the way, You don't need to go to the gym for three hours and take selfies in the mirror to get a workout. (laughs) I'm all about Your body will react the
1: same way whether you take a selfie or not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm all about high intensity, low interval. So, it's like, you know, warm up if you need to, but then go hard for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you'll be dead. I promise you if you do some more just high intensity stuff and then... You know, meditation after it's very strategic because if you get up in the morning and you meditate, you're gonna go back to sleep, right? Yeah, exactly. You, you <laughs> so get your,
1: like... yeah, get your adrenaline up, and then you calm mm-hmm. down and and focus on. And again, even with meditation, I actually my first article on Ink that went live two uh, two days back. I'm sorry, two weeks back. Also talks about the same thing is that you don't have to be thinking about how do I meditate for ten minutes or twenty or thirty or whatever you you hear other people talk about. You think about thirty seconds at a time. I call it my thirty second rule. Is that any new habit that you want to form, just say I'll do it for thirty seconds. I mean, if you don't mm-hmm. work out in the morning, just say I'll do one push up in the morning. That's all I'll do. I don't want to be doing more. Or if I want to meditate, I'll only meditate for thirty seconds. Because if you if you've never done this, and I by the way I I came in and out of this all the time. I was like, I hear from everyone meditation is so great, and it's like who sits for ten minutes just doing nothing. I mean, just that's not me. I, I don't see that as me doing doing meditation for ten minutes or even work out in the morning. But when you tell yourself that I'll only do it for 30 seconds, like, how hard can it be to do 30 seconds? But what you're doing is that you're moving from a state of inaction to the state of action. And now if you're doing one push-up, you'll probably end up doing five, hopefully 10. As the time progresses, who knows, maybe 20, 30, right? But if you start by saying that, oh, I want to look like Jeffrey on day one. And then I want to do 50 push push-ups in one go when I've done nothing before. I mean, the brain is automatically will tell you, I mean, are you crazy to even think that that's going to happen? Just like blogging, for example. I mean, we talked about that, right? I mean, you cannot set yourself as a comparison with somebody who has been doing for 12 years. Or if I started wanting to do, do podcasting and say, I mean, I want the same audience and and same finesse by which Jeffrey does it. I mean, that's just me setting wrong example for myself and setting setting me up for failure. So that 30-second rule for habit formation has worked great for me. And I personally think it's a great way to to inculcate a new habit in any new person.
0: I think that's a, a great rule. You break down the habit into its simplest form, the most easy first step that it could possibly be. And mm-hmm. by then simply taking that first action, because your mind can consume, okay, I can do that, yeah. then it starts that momentum. Yes, Yeah. Totally. I love that, and I think more important just to to break down that morning routine, which I don't want to overlook the the last piece of it. The questions that you asked were so great. What's the one thing my my biggest, most important thing I need to accomplish today? Today, great question. Yeah. And the six month outlook, the vision, the what three things do I want to accomplish in the next six months? Was that the question?
1: Yeah, so six six months to two years, depending on the complexity okay. of the task. Okay. But really, one thing that you want to get done today and three of your big goals that you want to get done between six months to two years.
0: And, and I bet when you finish that one thing that day, you feel really good. <laughs>
1: yes, that's what it is. At the end of the day, you're like, that was my one thing in the morning. And in the evening, yeah. like, again, at the time of, uh, I mean, when, when you're going to bed, you're saying, did, did I do that one thing? And again, like you said, if you miss a blog a week, I mean, don't beat yourself too hard. I mean, there are fires and urgencies that happen to our business all the time. I said, okay, mm-hmm. I missed that one thing today, but we'll, we'll come to it tomorrow. I and mean, it's very easy to beat yourself if you miss something. But if you keep giving that self-love to yourself and come back and try it again next day, I, I think that that has worked very well for me as well.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm very curious where you see the industry going. You're investing in technology with yes. Rachel. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious, what are your five, 10-year projections as technology continues to be integrated. With uh, yeah. the existing yeah. real estate industry as a whole
1: I think they're they Jeffrey there first, we need to see uh, I mean why is the industry moving and and why is it moving in the direction it is I, I think there are two really big play here. One is that I mean through hundreds and thousands of years, I mean humans haven't lived for hundreds and thousands for thousands of years of of human evolution, we always had this case of information asymmetry, right? The sellers always knew more than the buyers, right? I mean even very early. I mean, even if I was doing a barter and I was bartering, say, a seashell with a goat, I mean, if I'm giving you a goat, I know more about that goat than you do. And you probably know more about seashell than, than I do, right? That, yeah, and we always have that information asymmetry, True. even through the 60s, 70s, 80s, even all the way to 90s. If I'm trying to buy a home and you're a real estate agent, you are probably the only one who knows which homes are, are for sale. Because I, as a buyer, I do not know where to find those homes for sale. So I come to you and you were telling me, okay, these are the homes for sale, let me drive you to those homes and then show you those homes. If you were trying to get a mortgage, you probably didn't know what kind of interest rates existed, what kind of loan programs existed, right? So I had this information asymmetry. You come to me and I'll tell you the rates are 5%. And you probably have no way of knowing if that 5% is true or not. Or I can tell you I provide the best service that that I do and nobody else in the country provides better service than me. Again, information asymmetry. You had no way of going to Yelp or or Google or Facebook or Zillow or wherever and and checking out my reviews because that did not exist. Now we are moving from a world last 10, 15 years of thousands of years of human evolution of, of information asymmetry. We are moving to a world or have already moved to a world of Information parity. Now, in most cases, if you come to me and I tell you the rate is five percent, you can go on bank rate and say, "Are you kidding me?" I see three and a half there. Or you are telling me that I provide the best customer service in the planet, and I see three and a half a star on Yelp or Google. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" I see read all these reviews that says that you're not the best service people in the country. So, and for similarly for if you're looking for home for sale or whatever information you're looking for. So we are moving in that world where. Just having basic information to provide is not good enough. You have to be better than just being a basic agent, whether you're on the loan side or where you're on the real estate. So you have to be a true advisor, a true consultant who can provide them the information, which is not easy to figure out from the content that's there on the web. So that's one thing. Moving from information asymmetry to moving to information parity is a huge paradigm shift that not just our industry had seen, pretty much all the industries have seen. And the second is the customer expectation of more predictability in the process. Amazon Prime brought that to us and have kind of spoiled that. If I order my toothpaste, I know that 99.9% of the time, within 48 hours, that toothpaste will be on my, on my doorstep. And I, it doesn't matter what I'm buying, right? I could be buying... Uh, a gorilla size grill or a toothpaste size, whatever that thing is. In, if I'm ordering it through Amazon Prime, I could be guaranteed that thing will be on my door 99.9% of the time. They might miss it here and there, but they will get it. Right. Yeah. Similarly, I mean, you can order food from DoorDash. You can know that you need to get your plates out because within three minutes, the driver will be pulling into the driveway with your food and you're guaranteed that that will happen. And
0: right? you can see the process. You of, can
1: see the process. Drivers not just, on the way. Right? Yeah. Not just you ordered it and three minutes before you get like a text alert saying, yeah, your driver is on the way. Three minutes, he'll be there or she'll be there, right? You can actually track it along. He's waiting at the restaurant. They have accepted the food. He has taken, he's sitting in the car and the car is moving, right? Uber did that. So everything that we are experiencing now has become a lot more predictable than it was before, right? You don't have to be... Standing on the side of the road in a freezing winter and trying to hail a cab, not knowing whether it'll be three seconds or three hours before you'll find one. You can tap one and Uber will send you one, knowing exactly that you will get it in nine minutes and 30 seconds. And I know that mortgage and real estate processes are much more complicated than say hailing a cab or ordering a food, but that's the generation has grown up on that. I mean, millennials still saw a lot, a, a little bit of an offline world, right? They grew up in an online world, but there was an offline world. Gen Z haven't seen anything offline. My six-year-old does not order from anything but Amazon Prime. She knows how to check orders. She knows how to call Alexa to say, where is my stuff? She knows everything that you need to know about Amazon Prime. And she knew that when she was four, four and a half. Imagine telling that generation that you're going to get a mortgage where you don't know where the process is. You don't know how much time appraisal will take. Okay. I mean, can you guarantee you'll close in 21 days? Maybe, maybe not, because there are hundred moving pieces. We don't know who will deliver, who will not. And that's going to be huge. So I'm, I'm not here to predict where, whether by 2030 or whichever year the, the industry will be fully automated and, and you and I or the other agents will not exist. I'm not sure if we will be there, but the direction in which we are moving is has accelerated so much, especially last year when people realized that. To get a mortgage, you don't have to walk into a bank's branch and shake somebody's hands. Even people who are not, say, from Silicon Valley or from other tech part of the country, even those people, I mean, are kind of used to now doing business in a virtual world. So given right. all that acceleration that we have seen with digitization and automation, I definitely see a much bigger play in it. And so the people who will do really well will have the best combination. I did, I posted a, a video on, on Facebook yesterday, how we went from a lead to clear to close in less than six hours. And in that video, I'm talking about it's, of course, the automation helped us get there. But also, it's there's a lot of people and the culture and everything else in, is in the organization. If you run a company with a culture which is obsessed about consumer experience, then that, along with automation, will get you there. But if you're trying to think that this is just an engineering problem and that's all that we are trying to solve, or this is just a human problem, I'm completely blindfolded to what's going on around me because this has worked for me for the last 10, 15, 20 years I've been in the industry. And I don't believe that automation is going to change any of that. Those are the two extremes, and none of them will survive. But if you have the best of both worlds, and if you don't have it, you're working at it. I think that's where the future
0: is. Wow, phenomenal answer. Have you written blogs about similar topics?
1: I have not, but I've been told to write more about it. So I'll, I'll actually, my goal is to create more content about the future and, and technology and everything else. So far, my focus had been mostly on just addressing the consumers, but but uh, yeah, unfortunately, there's nothing on this. This is the best platform for someone to watch it.
0: And, right, and, 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 and I asked that because for my listeners, he was not prepared for that question and I think knocked it out of the park. That Thank was a, you. uh, you're welcome. That was a phenomenal answer about the asymmetry of information and how that's shifted. I've explained that in different words so many times and how in the review culture of today, We have the insight of every past experience that was negative or positive that was recorded in regards to this business or this, you know, this personal brand online, just waiting for us. I mean, when I travel to other countries, I I love traveling. I go right on Google and I see only, you know, five star reviews at this restaurant, that's what I'm going to. Yeah, And, And so that is such a shift in last just 10 years 15 years like you said and so that's a huge huge point then the gen z are born into technology you know in 10 years being in their 20s and you know the millennials who yes were born without it like myself i was you know i was born without it i got got a cell phone kind of late and things like that but Mm -hmm. then now fully have adopted technology and i'm a total like tech savvy Mm -hmm. person yep i also see a lot more transparency in the process in both real estate and mortgage Mm -hmm. and having you know a line with dots for each step and you can see the progress in some login or you know some form of like app that tracks you and it's like okay here you go hey just a little update you know the uh, underwriting process has begun you have no action items just letting you know just something some you know you're not left in the dark Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because I think that makes people anxious when they're just like, <laughs> it does. Yeah. hey, how's your clothes going? I heard you get a new house. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you all you know is that no action
1: pending at your end, the loan is in underwriting. Yeah. We have three days turn time you'll hear from us back again on Tuesday. That's all
0: they need right. to know. They at least know Amazing. someone's
1: taking care of it.
0: Yes. Have a good weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have a good weekend. <laughs> so as far as books go, do you have any great book recommendations? You know, like one to three books that have greatly impacted your life or career?
1: Yeah, a few. I was very bad at reading books, even even all the way to my postgrad, my my MBA. My friends would actually say, "I mean, how do you even pass your exams without reading books?" I just hated reading text, and so my favorite app, if you'll ask me of all time, is Audible, is because finally I was able to read, uh, and of course listen, hundreds of books over the last few years, and that right. has been a complete game changer. I mean, the, the kind of things that. I mean you can learn from 8 10 12 dollar books that will take you hundreds and thousands if not millions of dollars to learn from from some of the best thought leaders on the planet. So that's huge. I mean and for me uh, driving back and forth from from work dropping off my kids whatever I'm doing uh, it's it's almost never music or anything else it's almost always audible that's playing in the car. So just from that perspective that works great because again that's one thing that a lot of people have is that I don't have time to read a book it's because I have kids or business and everything else today. But just just consider how much driving time that you have wherever you are going, even if you add all that up, that's that's a lot of time. You can potentially read, if nothing else, at least half or one book book a month. And that's good enough. You don't have to be where you're reading a book a week and then you're not really implementing or executing on it. Right. You don't have to be reading so many of them. So from book perspective i mean some of my top ones that i would say is that the principles of persuasion by robert cialdini has had a huge impact in my life. Influencing other people's behavior uh, in our business, especially, is very important. Of course, we are talking ethically. We are not trying to influence in a way which is which is unethical. But mm-hmm. trying to for other people to see your viewpoint by persuading them in some way is very important. I Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Uh, he was an FBI hostage hostage negotiator. That's a book on negotiation. A little bit of hardcore for if you're very new to negotiation, by the way. Because, of course, his negotiation was life and death situation because he was negotiating hostage situation. But a really good book for some of the basic stuff. The Super Brain by uh, Deepak Chopra and then Rudy Tanzi is another uh, that opened up the possibilities of how much the brain can do potentially and actually Finally, got me into meditation because of the not just the at philosophical level the benefits of it, but real tangible benefit that, that it provides. Uh, so that that has been one of the one of the best books that I've read. And then, I read also a lot about non-business stuff. So the I'm forgetting the name on the Human Evolution, uh, Sapiens. Sapiens has, is yep. one of my favorite books that talks about human evolution from where we were to where we are and where we are going. It has to be one of my top five six books. It may not be a business book because it talks about human evolution, but I also read a lot about uh, biohacking and brain hacking, and so I also follow a lot of blogs. Uh, Tim Ferriss podcast on yep. pretty much everything that you need to get better at is has to be one of the best. Uh, Dave Asprey is uh, huge on biohacking. Uh, he was my coach for a short while. Um, oh wow! So yeah. It wasn't that expensive back then. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, again, so there are lots of other uh, things that you can do, but Audible, or I'm actually reading a book right now called Play Bigger is, and I'm I'm only halfway through it, but it already seems it will probably make it to my top 10 mm. books. It has to be one of the best books about how do you Make yourself a category leader into something like something that, I mean, it's a book on differentiation and and creating yourself as category leader. But um, again, a great book for our industry because we get commoditized a lot because we say, I mean, every loan officer, every real estate agent is the same. So, a book like that will really open your eyes into what is possible. So, yeah, those are probably
0: some of my best books. I mean, I might have missed. Very, few. very good book suggestions. Yeah. And Audible, if you can't sit down and read a book, Audible or, you know, I just buy them on iTunes in the audiobook store. And yep. same thing. I mean, it's, I love that. I love being able to double time, like if I'm cooking or if I'm, you know, yeah. prepping or if I'm driving, thing, whatever it is where you don't have to engage your mind to create something or write yourself. Pretty much you can now listen to a book and better yourself and feed the mind. So Tony Robbins calls it net time, right? No extra time. (laughs) And uh, leveraging all the time that you can to better yourself. I love that. Is there a question that I should have asked you or, you know, anything that you'd like to elaborate on from earlier?
1: No, I mean, one thing that I, again, just from my experience is that a couple of things is when you try something new, you will be out of your comfort zone. And if you don't want to be out of your comfort zone, you will never succeed at pretty much anything. I mean, unless you are. I mean, they say even Mozart was not born musician. You still had to practice a lot before he got to where he was. So, I mean, even the concept of child prodigies and you, some of the books that that I've read, says that even kind of mistaken because even they practiced a lot before they were known as child prodigies, right. so to say. So. We are probably not born with something which which we are world class at at the time of birth. I mean, if you, I mean, I came to the country. I said I was I was eighteen months in the country. Uh, English is my third language, and I literally knew no one. I had nineteen hundred dollars to start this business. So I had to go through a lot of this stuff in my life, whether it was speaking, whether it's writing, whether being in media. I mean, all of this stuff was completely new to me. And it doesn't matter whether English might be your first language. You you were born in this country. It still might be very very difficult for you because these are the things that. As humans, just being out there is one of the discomfort things that we have, right? Even even seasoned speakers say that when you when they get on the stage, the first few seconds, they're very nervous. It's because it's just just a different feeling altogether. So that's really my biggest thing is that you have to be willing to get out of that comfort zone. I mean, always mm-hmm. this feeling of, I'll be judged because I do this. And you will be. I mean, that's what it is. And if you put this content out there, Jeffrey, I mean, some people might say, I mean, great job, Shoshan. That was really good. Or... Some people might say this was okay, I've heard this 50 times before, what's the big deal about this? Whatever it is, but it's you have to do it consistently. Some people may or may not like it. I and mean, you can have a YouTube video with 5 million thumbs up, it might still have 5,000 thumbs down. And this is that's how it is. It's, not everyone will like everything. So getting out of your comfort zone and then being disciplined about it, I think those are the two most difficult thing yet the most rewarding thing that you can do. So first get out of it and then be disciplined, keep doing it until it just becomes natural. I remember the first time I was doing a four-minute speech, and it wasn't even a speech. I sponsored a very small real estate breakfast event because I was a new loan officer. I was trying to get in front of real estate agents. I said, okay, I'll sponsor the breakfast. Cost me $100, whatever it was. And I was given four minutes to pitch who I was. Back then, we had this Olympus audio recorder. There was no iPhone back then. So I recorded my four-minute speech 27 times so I would record it. I'll listen to it. I'll record it. I'll listen to it. I say, ah, this sucks. Let's make it better. Let's make it better. So I did 27 times. Still, when I went there to do that four minutes thing, I was extremely nervous. It went well, thankfully, but it was 27 times practice for a four minute in front of literally 20 people, maybe in the room. And now you can throw me in front of 2000 people, give me two minutes notice, and I'll come up with something in terms of presenting, which hopefully will not suck and, and people will like it. It's not, and again, you should not see that me of, of today saying that, oh, he, he can still make it happen even with a two minutes notice, is because you should also see that nervous little kid practicing it for 27 times for a four-minute speech, is because that's getting out of the comfort zone does. So wherever you are right now, it really doesn't matter. You can start something today. And the good thing about the world that we live in is that there is so much access to whether you have, you're at Coursera or you're at YouTube or, or you're at Udemy, there is literally, you can pick up, I mean, difficult tasks like computer coding and can become really good in six to nine months if you really put your time and effort and brain into it. So right. pick something, whatever. I mean, it is it, it might be out of your comfort zone, but if you really, really give it your best and and then really try it, I mean, who knows? Nine months down the road, you could be teaching that stuff to other people. That's how
0: good can you can get. That's right. Great suggestions, and I really appreciate you closing with that. How can listeners contact you?
1: Uh, Mortgageblog.com is, of course, my blog. uh, So it's probably an easy domain to remember. ArcusLending.com is my company's website, and those will have my contact details. Of course, connect me on social media. I'm not on TikTok, will not be on TikTok, (laughs) but but there are other platforms that I, I should be available for you to connect me with.
0: Amazing. Shashank, Shaker, thank you so much for being on today. really appreciate it. And uh, this has been a phenomenal episode. I know my listeners are going to love it.
1: Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show.